there was correlation there. Things started to settle down. They, they started to get into some kind of rhythm. Again, this is a relative term. They went from really, really bad to start to shaky. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, happy Victory Monday edition of the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Happy Victory Monday. Something that We've not been able to say in 304 days. It's been a while on this show. It's a lot of days. Uh, it's it's a lot of days. Um, but then, I remember yeah. that show vividly. Thursday night, <laughs> Titans go up to Green Bay, get the big win. Trailing Burks, then it was breakout a game. Friday, so All was well. More days than then. I know. 12 um, hours later, Todd Downing is in, in a holding cell. And little did we know, the Titans world was going to come crashing down over the next two months. Um, and then continue into, into week one of 2023. But the Titans finally got a win today at home in their home opener against the Chargers. And we are here, a little Hot Read podcast after dark, a long, long day. JT, I was at the Titans stadium before 9 a.m. this morning. It Me is too. now almost 9 p.m. on Sunday evening. Indeed. And I'm still in a suit and I'm still talking <laughs> Titans because that's what we do. We grind sun up to sundown. Sundays are for NFL football and for talking about the Titans, and that's what we're going to do. And then as soon as this show's over, I'm going to take this off and put on the comfiest clothes I can possibly find and do nothing um, until I go to bed, probably very soon like an old man because it's been a very long day. But before that, we've got winners and losers to get into, and we are brought to you today, as we always are, by Boomba's Pizza here in Tennessee. Boomba's Craft Pizza and Brewery. They are fantastic at what they do and what they do is make great pizza and serve a great selection of alcohol. Boomba's in Spring Hill is where we are based for our Thursday shows live. Each and every Thursday this season, we are at Boomba's in Spring Hill, which is just a nice little 20, 25-minute drive down I-65 if you're from the Nashville area. If you want to visit Boomba's and you don't want to go to Spring Hill, they've got locations in East Nashville. They've got locations in uh, Murfreesboro. They've got locations in Indiana and in Kentucky. So make sure to check out Boomba's wherever you are. They are really, really delicious. And JT, we, something we really haven't talked about in advertising them on the show, but we've talked about it in, in personal conversation. Very affordable as far as dining goes, as far as uh, a, a bar tab will run you like. I would put it up against pretty much any other establishment similar to like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings. You certainly aren't getting as good of food, first of all. And you certainly are going to be paying more for what you're eating. It's just a it's a fine establishment with fine food. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I think I'm I'm looking forward to it more and more every single time I go because yes. it's not creating a hole in my wallet when I want to go enjoy <laughs> a Thursday night football game. So that's right. That's that's always a great perk. Yes. Yeah, so check out Boomba's Pizza wherever you are, but come to Spring Hill on Thursday nights to hang out with us, talk some Titans, and then watch Thursday Night Football each and every week. We appreciate Boomba's being our title sponsor. And before we dive into winners and losers this week, one last thing. If you are watching with us live on Sunday, Sunday evening, thank you for joining us live. Do me two quick favors. One, if you are watching on Twitter or on Facebook, make sure you stop doing that. Go over to the YouTube live stream version of this show. 
Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. That's where you're going to find this live stream. And that is the comment section where you'll be able to interact with us and we'll be able to see your comments and questions about this game, such as our buddy Paul and Pretty Boy Lipschitz and Kenneth all in the comments already. I appreciate you guys being with us. And if you are watching with us live, if you can do me one personal favor really quick, share this however you can. Retweet, like, send the link to a friend. Whatever you can do to help us get as many eyeballs on this show as possible would be greatly appreciated. So thank you for doing that. So make sure you're, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube and make sure you share the show. And with that, JT, let's dive into some winners and losers from the Titans' first winning effort. And as you said, over 300 days. Um, if you would not be so kind as to uh, throw us into these winners and losers, I'll kind of I'll get the scene set for us here. Um, the Titans win in overtime, obviously. Uh, it starts raining at the very end of the game as overtime is beginning. Well, actually, not as it's beginning, as it's as it's coming to an end, really. The Titans cross midfield and the, the skies open up. And it's one of those perfect moments where you're thinking the Titans are going to get in the field goal range and it's going to be a wet ball. And it's going to be a shank and they're going to end in a tie or the Chargers are going to drive down and they're going to win the game. Something bad is going to happen. Um, but it doesn't in in shocking fashion. And I, I asked Ryan Stonehouse, the, the Titans punter and holder after the game in the locker room. I didn't film it, but I'm just like, how like what's going through your mind when it, it starts to rain and you're probably anticipating about to have to catch and hold this snap. And like and he's like, you know what? Just, you know, we've got a all pro seasoned veteran professional snap long snapper here in Morgan Cox. He, he snapped me a dime. It was easy. Never in doubt. And then my boy Nick Folk put it through the uprights. And that's what they did. And the Titans win. 27 to 24 getting a win against an AFC opponent big avoiding going 0 and 2 to start the season big breaking an eight game losing streak that dated back to November 17th of 2022 big 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 win for the Tennessee Titans on Sunday and something you know the Titans players and coaches and fans alike just have not had a, a lot to celebrate in the past 300 days so it was it was a, a celebration all around um, I think as much a sigh of relief from Titans fans as it was a moment for celebration, but a lot of good things and bad things happened before that Nick Folk overtime game winner. And I want to talk about them in our week two edition of winners and losers. So now JT, if you could do me the honor of starting us off with our first winner of the day. Yeah, we can start with our first winner and Coming back from just an amazing bounce back from being the absolute loser of the losers last week to being the winner of the winners this week, it's Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill told the media last week on Wednesday when we talked to him about his week one performance that Sunday couldn't come fast enough. And that was not surprising coming from him, a guy who had arguably the worst game of his career in many aspects in New Orleans in week one. He was excited to get to this game. He was a man looking to prove that that performance was an outlier and not the new norm. We talked all week about how it, it by definition, was the outlier of all outliers in his career. But an aging quarterback, a guy that is limited, even at his best, it raised a lot of questions about what this team was going to be capable of achieving with him at the helm. And his game on Sunday was much, much more in line with what we've grown accustomed to seeing from Ryan Tannehill since becoming a Titan. Very good, very efficient football. He went 20 of 24 on the day. He was good for 83% completion rate, which is uh, the, I went and checked, the second best completion rate of his career. 131 starts. This is the second most efficient passing day that he has ever had. 246 yards through the air, 
and one touchdown, no interceptions. Titans didn't turn the ball over all day long, as well as a 12-yard read option touchdown on his feet. He heard all of us talking about maybe he's washed. Maybe old, old father time has come for Ryan Tannehill's soul, come for his athleticism. Ryan heard the noise, and he laughed in our faces with a read option Fakes to, to Derrick Henry, gets the safety to bite, and then runs through contact, gets in the end zone for a touchdown. Some old school Ryan Tannehill, as we've come to know and love him here as a Titan. That's that's what you what you've grown accustomed to seeing from him. That that little sneaky athleticism he has is what makes him a a plus quarterback on his feet. And so um, we talked to him about his bounce bounce back performance. No clips. From the interviews this evening, just couldn't. It's very late. I couldn't be bothered to pull them. But he was talking about how it was really nice to come back, bounce back after a week one that he wanted to wash away. Uh, he had the support of his teammates all week long. He was confident in his own abilities all week long, and he was excited to finally get back in the win column. He did all of that today, JT, despite being sacked five times and hit six more, which we're going to talk about a little bit later when we talk about the offensive line. But what stood out most in this game was his effectiveness on play action. He went seven of nine on play action plays for 168 of his yards, bringing his average career average, uh, excuse me, last two seasons average to 11.8 yards per attempt on such plays since 2022. So in the last two years on play action plays, he has, has a 11.8 yard per attempt average, which is good for 1.6 whole yards more than any other quarterback in the league during that span. Very, very, very effective on play action, which we've known. Our buddy Zach Lyons at, with football and other F-words and a football show has most loudly been screaming this for the past year plus, that Ryan Tannehill needs as much play action as humanly possible. Both of his deep connections today, JT, the one to Traylon Burks that was the spark plug that ignited the Titans offense, and then to Chris Moore in the second half, which was another big, I think 49, 50 yard chunk play. Um, both of those came on play action looks where he, you know, dialed in that accuracy. We talked about last week. He just kept underthrowing guys and then he missed a couple guys with overthrows. The underthrows turned into interceptions. The overthrows looked like clear touchdowns that were squandered opportunities. He just couldn't dial in the range. Today he did. And, and that accuracy that he fixed from week one allowed him to manage to hit both Traylon Burks and Chris Moore perfectly in stride for those massive gains. He's a very, very good quarterback when the Titans emphasize play action on offense. It's as simple as that. When when you mix Ryan Tannehill with play action, good things typically happen. Hopefully, Tim Kelly, the Titans offensive staff, all the people planning how this Titans offense is going to operate going forward, they should probably keep that in mind going forward, JT. Like that that seems like and it's one of those things where you're like, is it really this simple? Like, surely there's there's got to be like, you know, I, I must not know football enough to really understand it because this seems no like. It's it's that simple. Obviously, you can't do nothing but play action. Then it doesn't work. But it, running a lot of play action is like our, our buddy Zach Lyons. Again, I'm sure he's going to talk about it this week. I'll put money on the fact that he's going to bring up the numbers this week. So tune into a football show. Tune into football and other F words later this week. The, the numbers in games where the Titans run a certain percentage of play action plays on offense is is directly correlative to how they tip how Ryan Tannehill performs and typically correlative to you know how they win or lose games and so that's something that the titans really really should emphasize going forward yeah i i would totally agree i think this was a total bounce back uh game for him i think it was honestly tim Co tim kelly was cooking today 
He was in his bag, man. He's been in his bag since week one. And I'm I'm glad they got the win because we talked about it last week about how Tim, you know, you go back and rewatch that game as we did. And man, Tim Kelly was cooking. He was scheming dudes up. He was scheming up those X plays and they just could not execute on them. But it was there. The proof was in the pudding. If you go and you look at the tape. The only difference today was that they executed on those X plays. That's really all it was. If the Titans had performed like they did today, execution wise in week one, people would have been saying, oh man, Tim Kelly in his bag. I like this change of pace. I saw one person, you know, the Titans first two drives today, totally anemic, very much dead in the stadium concerns from Titans fans. Like I've got a multiple texts from buddies who are Titans fans. Just, Hey, we stink. Titans stink. And I corrected them. I said, ah, the, the, the offense stinks. The defense is very good. Um, and then the offense came around. And and all of that is to say, like, th- this team, it, 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 it is capable of good things on offense. They just have to execute on these on these plays. And I, 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 you know, I saw people on Twitter even saying, like, oh, look, Tim Kelly, just like Todd Downing. Let's relax, first of all. But but if you if you genuinely think that. And that wasn't out of frustration. I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, we can move on to our first loser of the week, which honestly, this loser makes Ryan Tannehill being a winner be that much more of a winner sure. because by God was the pass protection today suspect at its peak and its best. Yeah, I think suspect is a kind way of putting it. I, I'm the there, there were there I'm were times today where it was a total <laughs> abject mess, right? It certainly was not. I mean, listen, I there are, there are levels to these things. Was it worse than week one? Yes, it was. Was it as bad as some of the truly horrendous pass protection games we saw last year and the year prior with the Tennessee Titans? No. Like, is it is it top five worst of the last three seasons? No. But was it very bad by any reasonable standard? Yes. So, like you said, Ryan Tannehill managed this bounce back performance despite his offensive line for much of the day today. Titans line allowed five sacks for 46 yards, negative 46 yards, that is, and six quarterback hits to boot on Sunday, getting, as Mike Vrabel put it after the game, getting the bleep knocked out of Ryan Tannehill more than once. Things got particularly rocky um, out of the gate. Those first two drives, you have uh, UDFA rookie Xavier Newman Johnson filling in for Peter Skaronsky at that right or excuse me left tackle left guard there we go easton left guard position and in those first i'm not i I don't want to frame this where i'm blaming everything in those first two drives protection wise on xavier newman johnson offensive line is pretty impossible to evaluate in game like let me get back to you on the wednesday show i'll have watched all 22 by then i'll have a better idea of how he performed in his two series the Titans gave him the nod after Peter Skaronsky. You know, people were wondering illness popping up on the Friday injury report. Like what's going on? Peter Skaronsky, he's, he's he got a like AJ Brown Chipotle case of the stomach bug. And he's just like, you know, he's puking and he can't stay hydrated and he's malnourished now. Or like, what's the deal? You have a bad case of the flu. I saw some people clowning him for being like, oh, he's rub some dirt in it. You're playing football. You're an offensive lineman. Like, how bad can it be? He had his appendix out. He had an emergency appendectomy, which is a reasonable reason. You know, he had the surgery on a on a Thursday or a Friday or whenever it was. I'm imagining Thursday night because he was at practice Thursday on the injury report on Friday and not there. So that's a like, let's relax on that. Let's chill. That's a reasonable thing. A very unfortunate, I mean, just a super Titans thing for your your rookie first round pick who was the star of your new offensive line in week one. 
And then now, you know, this setback that is not his fault by any means. It's not even one of those things where it's like, well, you know, injuries aren't their fault, but the guy can't stay healthy. No, like that's just that's just luck. It sucks. Happened to Joe Burrow last year. It's happened to a lot of players. Uh, the good news is, you know, it's not something that's going to have him out for a long time. The bad news is, you know, it could be that he's back next week. We've seen some players return after a week off. We've some we've seen some players have to take three or four weeks off. Like it, I saw a lot of people today once it was confirmed as an appendectomy talking online about, oh, great. He'll be back next week. Let's I mean, maybe there's a there's a chance there's it's a wide ish range of outcomes here. It could be up to four weeks, really. And it could be as little as he is back next Sunday. We'll just have to see. But taking that that sidetrack, get back on the on the rails here. Xavier Newman Johnson, first two drives, things were not great. They were not good in general, but in pass protection in particular, um, Mike Vrabel decided he'd seen enough, decided to send in the guy that he said on Friday will be playing in this game. Uh, we weren't sure whether or not to take that as he'll be active. He'll be, you know, the swing guy or, or he'll be starting. He didn't start, but he played the majority of the game going in, taking over for Xavier Newman Johnson at that left guard position for the rest of the game. And again, I'm not saying it's all Newman Johnson's fault that things were bad. And then all Dylan Raiden's uh, response. He's not, I'm not saying he's responsible for all of the better things that happened. I need to watch the tape, but there was correlation there. Things started to settle down. They, they started to get into some kind of rhythm. Again, this is a relative term. They went from really, really bad to start to shaky the rest of the game. Um, but once you got him in there, that was something that was that was working out well. The Newman Johnson Dillard combo on that left side in those first two drives, uh, they they allowed a drive killing sack on each of the Titans' first two drives. Both sackers, Nick Bosa, and then I forget who had the first sack. I think it was Kenneth. Um, Kenneth, uh, what's the linebacker? Um, blank on his, his name. name. Yeah, people was, people know what I'm talking I about. You, you go find it. Um, but I think that's who it was. But regardless, both both sackers got through Gibson, I think pretty Kenneth clean. Gibson? No, no, no. You're thinking of Travis Gibson. Just, mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, you'll, you'll go find it. Um, yeah, it. both, both sackers got through relatively clean on an untouched and both plays were Kenneth Murray, Kenneth's Ke fellow Kenneth in the chat, helping us out with <laughs> Kenneth's, Kenneth Murray. Thank you. Kenneth Murray. I th and I'm still not even positive. He was the first guy that I, I think so. Um, either way, again, both guys, got through it so quickly, so effectively that both plays were pretty much dead on snap. Like they were, you, you just didn't match protection. Um, and so neither play had a chance. So you put in uh, uh, Dylan Raidens, things get better. And, and Tannehill, to be fair, was, was not completely blameless in the number of sacks that were taken. That second one where he backs up closer and closer to the Titans goal line. You're wondering, I don't, Hey, hang on safety alert. Let's chill. Quit backing up. He takes a sack inside the Titans five and puts them in a, a bad punting situation. Um, there was not good protection on that play at all, but also he held onto the ball for far too long on a couple of those. But again, in general, the pass pro simply not good enough. Um, Dylan came in line, settled in. Um, but the improvement, it was not enough to feel particularly comfortable whenever Tennessee tried to drop back and pass the ball. All of that being said, this line, I don't I don't want people to overreact. I don't think it's this is an overreact spot. It's a very new line. It lacks experience. These guys lack experience with one another. We came into the season knowing this. We knew that this line was going to take time to gel. And it is you don't gel in one week. You don't gel in two weeks. You're probably not going to be gelled by week three, week four. Like, 
a lot of times offensive lines take six to eight weeks. It's by midseason. You're like, hey, they're finally finding their stride, stringing a couple of good games together. So until they find that rhythm, things are going to remain shaky on offense. But I do think that patience is warranted. Yeah, and then we have a couple of comments here on those issues yeah. here. Uh, Kenneth also pointing out that Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, good at football. So like this when, when you when you are good at a disadvantage like that, yep. almost you had to expect that it was going to be shaky at best when you do not have Peter Skaronsky in there and you're kind of putting a hodgepodge of just trying to get guys through this game here to see UDFA what works. rookie on one hand or man eight months removed from ACL tear on other hand, <laughs> choose your fighter. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. Um, and then ZD says that Raiden's did look good today though at left guard, which he was a lot better than, than Xavier Newman Johnson was. Um, however, even if you, to your point, if Peter Skaronsky does not come back next week, as Pretty Boy Lipshit says, Miles Garrett is going to be a absolute problem for this line next week. Andre Dillard has been an issue. He he is the, through two weeks, he is the consistent glaring issue both weeks. Again, I, week two, asterisk, I need to go watch the tape. I'll talk more about him probably on Wednesday. But assuming what I saw with my bare eyes with, from the press box today is is reflected in the tape, yeah, he he's... He's the issue, and we kind of came into the season worried that he may be the issue, and those worries are coming to fruition. Yeah, and then finally here, just on Raiden's, or, well, we'll get to him later in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see this the question from Kenneth about Raiden's being one of the best five linemen on the team. Great question. Um, I, I, We address it later when we talk a little bit more yeah, about let's Raiden's. circle back there. Let's move on to another winner from this game, and it's it's not any specific person, but it's Pivotal plays from the impact players, the guys who make the plays when it really counts. Yeah, pivotal plays from impact players. I think what defined this game the most to me were these big plays that were made by the biggest players on the team in the biggest moments in the game. They aren't called impact players for nothing, right? You typically need them to make impact plays in order to win the game. And time after time in week two, the Titans saw one of their best players step up when they needed it most. So, uh, some some notes on, on examples of this, right? The first impact play of the entire game for the Titans certainly felt like the most important play of the game at the time, at least the most needed one all day long. Three drives into the game, Tennessee had just eight yards of total offense and they were down 11 to nothing. Mike Rabel said after the game that they were leaking oil and that we needed that play from him. The play in question, a 70-yard bomb on first down and the player in question, Traylon Burks, right? That 70-yard completion, connection between Ryan Tannehill and Traylon Burks was the first life that the Titans had on offense all day long. It was, I think, as much a sigh of relief in the Titans stadium as it was a cause for celebration, a moment of great excitement. That was the spark plug that got Tennessee on the board and back into the game, courtesy of one of their stars, right? And then their other star receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, had a relatively quiet day by box score scouting. If you just look at the box score, you say, hey, four receptions on five targets for 40 yards for DeAndre Hopkins. That's well below, you know, the Hopkins standard statistically. But it was the way that he was utilized, the significance of the moments in which he contributed that shined so brightly, in my opinion. So twice the Titans faced pivotal third downs, and the man with the surest hands on the team, DeAndre Hopkins, came down with the ball for the first down conversion. Both plays extended drives that resulted in touchdowns. Obviously, they would have 
resulted differently if he had not made those conversions on such critical downs. And then in overtime, Hopkins comes up big for one final play to get the Titans firmly into field goal range as the rain began to pour. That was that moment where you're like, oh, can they throw the ball? The ball is wet now. Can they kick from distance? It's a wet ball now. It's like things are slippery. Things are made more difficult. This is a problem. And DeAndre Hopkins and his very sure hands say, no, it's not. Let me get you comfortably inside of 45 yards so that you can feel better about making this game-winning kick. And that obviously um, gets them into range to, to win the game, and then they do. Those three plays arguably would have swung the game if, if any one of them went differently. Then you look at Ryan Tannehill. Came up big as well, hitting Traylon Burks, Chris Moore, deep downfield on those two explosive offensive plays. They capped off both of those drives with a touchdown. He ran through contact on the 12-yard read option touchdown, and then he hit Nick Wispakakine in the end zone on third down with less than three minutes to go in the game to take the lead. I think people are going to kind of forget about how that moment the Titans are, are driving down the field. It's one of the first offensive drives in a couple of series where they are showing life. They get into the low red zone and suddenly two Derrick Henry runs. They lose, I think, three net yards on those two runs. And you're under two minutes. You're not going to get the ball back. It's concerning. Ryan Tannehill steps back in a, I think, relatively obvious pass situation and hits Nick Westbrook Akine for the easy touchdown. The Titans take the lead, which ultimately was necessary to get into overtime. Big plays from a big star. Let's look at the defense. A pair of huge sacks are the ones that come to mind for me. You have the Jeffrey Simmons sack in the first half um, that maintained, or excuse me, this is the second half, I believe, um, that maintained the Titans' newfound momentum with a sack of Justin Herbert on third and six. Big drive-ending sack for the Titans. They had just taken the lead for the first time in the game, 17 to 14. And Simmons didn't allow the Chargers to answer, got the ball back into the hand of his offense that was finding some rhythm. An even bigger sack, though, came at the end of the game, end of regulation, that is. It was the first impact play in a long time from Mr. Harold Landry, who was playing, of course, in his second game back from tearing his ACL last summer. With 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the Chargers had one last chance to win in regulation on third and three from the Titans' seven-yard line. Herbert drops back, trying to make the deciding pass, put a dagger in the hearts of Titans fans on one final play from scrimmage. Then Landry breaks through with perfect timing. Hello, welcome back to the show. Takes him to the ground, forces LA to tie the game and head into overtime. All of these things are the big plays from big players, impact plays from impact players that you have to have, especially on a team like this that we've talked about all summer, JT. Like, There's a little bit of a stars and scrubs build for this team. Like, It's very much predicated on their best players carrying in in key moments and today that was the case every single moment you know every single um nexus moment in this game hinged on the play of a, of a titan star and they delivered so i think that was the defining thing in this game to me yeah and then like you were saying to that point like stars and scrubs like the stars did come up but then also there were a lot of supplemental players who really did make an impact as Dean points out the Chris Moore catch was also huge in huge. that game um like you pointed out NWI 
finding the the soft spot there to get the the touchdown which by the way which, maybe can I say real quick on maybe NWI, we all deserve uh to give nwi an apology as can I we talk about out. this real quick just sure. just briefly i feel like this is the right time to bring this up jt i tweeted this out a couple of minutes ago i'm old enough to remember jt i'm guessing you are as well some smart people more than one smart person just a month ago during tightness training camp talking about how i am i don't know you're calling nwi a lock easton what what are you sure have you seen his contract? Have you heard how he's playing at, at training camp? Yes, I've seen the contract. Yes, I see him at training camp. He is a lock. He, the, the age old adage, which I repeated multiple times in August, no matter how much you like NWI, the Titans like him twice as much. And through two games, apropos of nothing, here's where NWI stands in terms of production for this team. <clears throat> Pulling up the notes here. 10 targets, second on the team to DeAndre Hopkins. Seven receptions through two games second on the team to DeAndre Hopkins and 83 yards on those seven receptions, third on the team, just behind DeAndre Hopkins and barely behind Traylon Burks. If people were saying he wouldn't make the 53-man roster. Are you crazy? It was as dumb then as it is now. He's he's a good wide receiver, three, four, five. That's what he's always been. We've always talked about how the triage, forcing him into wide receiver two, wide receiver one. Yeah, he's going to suck. Of course, like he's... He's got a hard ceiling, but when he's your wide receiver three, even better wide receiver four, even better wide receiver five, you're, you're going to like him there. And the Titans are liking him there. And there he's a volume King right now. So lay off my, my guy NWI. Okay. Yeah. My bad. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the L on that one. That's my bad. <laughs> That's my bad there on that one. I'll, I'll put my hand up. All right. Hey, no, um, we, we appreciate the accountability. Yeah, of course. We can move on now to another loser here, which I have a feeling is going to be one it's going to be a very recurring theme this season, yes, but the secondary continues yep. to be a problem. Yeah. The Titan secondary it's, uh, it's a problem. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to make this come up. Like I thought the secondary actually on the whole, and this is something that I, I thought after the game, just trying to check myself, reevaluate, you know, how I felt about the game as a whole. I felt they were a bit better today than they were in week one, especially when you factor in the loss of, Amani Hooker and Christian Fulton not playing in this game. Two really big cogs in the wheel that is the Titan secondary. Doesn't make it easy when you when you have those guys out. And I thought that they managed pretty well in this game considering those two things. However, since 2010, JT, teams with 275 plus passing yards and no turnovers in football games and NFL games are 382, 96 and two. That is a win percentage of roughly 80%. The Chargers became one of those 96 teams, one of those 96 losers on Sunday, amassing 281 of their 342 total yards through the air against the Titans. Quarterback Justin Herbert went 27 for 41 against Tennessee, um, missing two very important pieces in Imani Hooker and Christian Fulton. Their impact again, can't be dismissed, but this team has allowed too many chunk plays in two weeks there's just no two ways about it with or without them. They are allowing too many big chunk X plays, particularly in between the 20 yard lines. Opposing offenses are regularly having their way with the Titans through the air. It's fair to point out that in general, I think this is their approach, right? We talk about a bend don't break defense that keeps you in front of them and becomes this impenetrable wall, at least on paper in the red zone, forcing field goals and not touchdowns. It's a, it's a fine strategy. But is it too much to ask for a secondary to present at least a little bit of resistance sometime other than when their back is against the wall? 
this soft approach was particularly evident to me in the first quarter when the Chargers began the game almost exclusively targeting the left-hand flat and short area of the field whenever they got isolation, one-on-one cornerback or safety or linebacker on receiver over there. I went back and checked after the game. Six of Justin Herbert's attempts in the first quarter were classified on the stat book. When you go to ESPN, go to CB, wherever you can find a, a, a play-by-play breakdown of the game. Six of the first seven passes of the game, seven complete or seven attempts in the first quarter from Herbert. Six of them are classified as short left. And you can't blame him for continuing to go to that well like he did. It was a free seven yards or more almost every single time he tried it. All but one. They got seven or more yards on it. And it's the kind of thing the secondary just has to find a way to adjust for and not allow so regularly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, once again, like, I always think that, like, the matchup that with Mike Williams, which Mike Williams did down the stretch produce, but I mean, Keenan Allen in his route running was definitely a problem today. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he definitely was their biggest playmaker today. But then I would also uh, add that maybe not exactly Christian Fulton's presence was missed, but I think Amani Hooker definitely was missed in that secondary after just how much of an impact he was um in week one yep so we can move on now to another winner which is one that is a welcome sight from last season that we saw many many times on this winner and losers list and that's the red zone efficiency baby we're back we're back we're back titans are back just a brief we return to your regularly scheduled programming with the titans red zone efficiency we talked about it last week one of the most out of character elements of week one for tennessee was their horrible inefficiency in the red zone they went over three in new orleans settling for a field goal each time they found themselves inside their opponent's 20-yard line. And if you're familiar with the Mike Vrabel, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry version of this Tennessee Titans team, historically with these guys, that came as a surprise, right? They've always been amongst the most efficient teams in the league in opponent territory. And in 2022, they were sixth in the league, 64.29% in the red zone, converting touchdowns when they got into that short red area. They were ninth the season prior, 62.5%. They have been good at this. And then in week one, they just weren't. It was strange. It, it makes sense when you think about it on just in general, in a vacuum, this team, of course, they're going to, they're managing to get more touchdowns than field goals in the short yardage. They have a Derrick Henry after all, right? A human wrecking ball capable of three yards, simply falling forward on most plays. And then they also pride themselves on having big bodied receivers, big bodied tight ends capable of winning with little space to play with capable of winning contested catches. So why'd they get off such a lousy start this season? Why'd they start so slow? A lot goes into that answer, right? You know, pre-snap penalties and poor offensive line play and bad decisions from the quarterback and a large dose of luck, ultimately, just negative luck, negative regression. That's a part of it. But in week two, Mike Vrabel's squad turned into a red zone machine like we've seen them in the past. They turned this red zone ship around. Mike Vrabel talked about it in his post-game press conference, getting into the red zone, being efficient, and finding the end zone. Ryan Tannehill and company went three of four inside the enemy 20-yard line on Sunday, managing three big touchdowns. And this is, I think, an important one. They did it in multiple ways. They didn't just show they're capable of it. They're, They're capable of doing it to you in, in in a couple of different facets, right? You, you first saw the Titans with Derrick Henry, a one-yard run, just pounding it up the middle after that big trail and Burks completion. They pound Henry and pound Henry and pound Henry until you get 
pay dirt. And that is typically a winning formula. When it's not, you go to Ryan Tannehill, read option, 12-yard rushing touchdown. And then when that's not working, you cook up some Nick Westbrook-Akine in breaking route. Easy peasy. When you got hands like NWI, you can't fail, right? That's a joke, but he did catch the ball. Uh, Four-yard passing touchdown to NWI. They, they did it three different ways. And this is the efficient style of play that Mike Vrabel and the Titans pride themselves on. It's the style of play that we're used to seeing from them. So I personally, I'd expect today's efficiency to prove to be more of the norm in, in, you know, than what we saw in week one. I think for the rest of the year, they'll be much closer to what we saw today going three or four than what they were in week one going of three. I think that was much more of a strange outlier, just considering the totality of this Titans team's history and the way that they play ball. I think we will look back at the end of the season. You look at the efficiency. You're going to look at week one and be like, oh, yeah, that was weird. What? Oh, that was a strange. Oh, for three. They just they must have been rusty or something. I don't know what was going on. I think that's going to be an outlier when we look back on it. Yeah, moving on to another loser in this game. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but just kind of something that is not usually what you would think of, of a Mike Vrabel-led team, and that was yep. the penalty dif- uh, discipline today. Yeah, man, the Titans shot themselves in the foot again multiple times in their first win. They did it in their first loss. They committed stupid penalties in some key moments, and like you said, a Mike Vrabel-led squad typically is a disciplined bunch. But that hasn't been the case so far in 2023. Seven penalties cost Tennessee a total of 45 yards against the Chargers today. Three offensive penalties, three defensive penalties, and one on special teams. Some highlights include false starts from, these are the most frustrating in my opinion, false starts from Dylan Radens and Trayvon Wesco and Josh Wiley. You're at home. You don't have the crowd noise in the in the Superdome to blame on this like this is just mental errors here you got a horse collar tackle from linebacker Aziz Al-Shair that turned a 10-yard Chargers game into a 24-yard gain um, and then you had a pair of defensive penalties on third down that didn't manage to keep Justin Herbert from connecting with Keenan Allen for a touchdown anyways you had a roughing the passer and you had a defensive holding or DPI whatever it was cancel out both and you know, just we'll, we'll pass on both of those things I actually know they accepted one right they, they get the touchdown anyways despite the Titans cheating twice on the play, then they they managed to get a two-point conversion because they get that accepted penalty roughing the passer, personal foul, half the distance to the goal, one yard from the goal line on a two-yard conversion. They punch it in, and they go up 11 instead of 10. So the sloppiness, like it's, it's a particularly harmful thing to the Titans' offensive efforts, in my opinion, because this team is built to win offensively by playing as efficiently as possible. Long grinding drives that slice and dice a defense to the point of wearing them down with the occasional shot play that busts a drive wide open. These are the fundamental tenets of a Tennessee offensive attack, but efficient football is made pretty impossible by stupid mental errors that result in pre-snap penalties. So if Mike Vrabel can't find a way to get his team to tighten up in this area of their game, I really do think it's going to cost them a win somewhere. I think it's going to cost them a game down the road. You're really going to wish that they had tightened up. No pun intended. The, 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 the penalty situation, the discipline of this team. I'm sure Mike Vrabel is going to make an emphasis of it because knowing Mike Vrabel, that's, that's very important to him but right now. It's too sloppy. And then our final winner of this 27-24 overtime win that the Titans got today is probably the weirdest one that we've had this season so far. (laughs) And maybe we'll hold that crown going forward. But it's a pair of two guys who really stepped up today. And that is the kicker, Nick Folk and Dylan Radins. Yeah, an awkward pairing, but I felt remiss excluding both of these players from receiving a winner shout out in week two. So we'll talk about them individually. But it's just two individuals that I felt 
deserving of a shout out here in a positive way. So we'll start with Nick Folk, the only consistent winner every week of the season so far. He was two for two today on field goals, uh, including the game winner in the rain, obviously. And then he nailed all three of his extra point attempts that bring his season that brings his season total up to seven of seven on field goal attempts. And he's personally responsible for 24 of the Titans, 42 points thus far this season. Titans traded a 2024 seventh round pick to New England for Nick Folk was lightly scrutinized at the time. You know, Titans were hoping that he would solve their years long kicking issue. And it is early and it is probably unfair to say this, but I I feel compelled to say it. I, I think it's safe to say he's been worth it. And then some, I think that it's safe to say he is the solution. I think the Titans kicking problem is fixed. I think that they're in good shape with Nick Folk. He is your stalwart veteran that's going to get the job done. You, you, the per, what you want to kicker is Nick Folk. You set it and forget it. Don't worry about it. He's, he's going to nail him. You feel comfortable. And that is what he's done so far in the first two Titans games. So very well done, Nick Folk. Congratulations on being a stud. The other player deserving of a shout out is offensive lineman Dylan Radens. We talked about him a little bit earlier, but he made his return to play. Um, this week, it was December 18th of 2022 when he tore his ACL against ironically, the Los Angeles chargers on the road in week 15 last year. If you told anybody JT last December, when we found out that Raiden's had torn his ACL, that he'd be back playing meaningful snaps, like the whole game in week two of 2023, that they, people would not have believed you. I, I would not have believed you. And I think that if you said that to Dylan, he would not have believed you. I think even he was surprised by how quickly he was returning to play. There's a, a clip on my Twitter account at Easton freeze. I asked him, did you really think you'd be playing this early? And his answer was you know, like, I was hoping so, but no, not really. So good for him. I, I think, you know, eight months and two days after that ACL re repair, the, the moral of the story here is modern medicine is, is magic. Like I, the science is crazy. I, We've gotten to the point in professional sports where you you can't even like, you know, Aaron Rodgers talking about how he's, you know, got got this Achilles tear and might be looking to return if the Jets can get to a playoff run, which you're like, oh, silly Aaron Rodgers. No, you can't. Cam Akers just did this last year. No one talked about it because he was playing for the Rams, but he was a running back and he came back in like five months. There were medical journals literally written on Cam Akers coming back miraculously like we have entered the uh, a miraculous period of time in history and in sports science and medical mechanics and so like it's it's incredible so this is a testament to that i'm shocked that he's back um he he was fine in this game i think that for a guy coming off an acl he was more than serviceable i think that like we said that the, the offensive line play improved a good bit once he came into the game the, the offensive line settled down once he was in the lineup. The question now becomes, will he have a starting role in the, this team's future, the rest of this season? Like it's yet to be seen how they're going to continue to use him. Skoronsky could be back next week, could be back the following week, could be back. Like it could be two or three weeks. But then after that, whenever he does return, what happens next? Perhaps he becomes the, the swing tackle for the Titans, which you feel good about him as your swing tackle, probably the best you felt about a swing tackle in a while. I think it's also not unfeasible JT to wonder if he'll get some looks at left or right tackle, especially if Tennessee continues to have issues at those positions, whatever the case is, it's clear to me that the team really values having him back and having his, him as an option in the trenches. And something tells me we'll be seeing 
I think a healthy serving of Dylan Radins in some capacity going forward. Yeah. And then two questions here from the chat. We'll finally full circle back around to Kenneth's question here, which is, is Radins currently one of the five best linemen on this team? So I want to say yes, but I feel like it's unfair given the sample size. Again, we've not seen, I've not gotten a chance to see a ton of him like at, at camp. You know, we get to see guys like right now, we don't get to really see them compete against each other. So I don't have that evidence to go based off of. And then we have less than a full game today to go based off of. So I think that he can be and the way that they talk about him and the way that they were willing to eight was just over eight months after his surgery, throw him back in there. I feel like they think he is. So my, my assumption is yes, but I won't say for sure. Let's see a little bit more. Um, I, I think that he's better than Andre Dillard is right now. I think that he's probably on par with what Chris Hubbard is doing right now. I, I think he's a good player. And then building on that, Zedine says, is there a scenario that if Dillard doesn't improve, could we see Peter Skaronsky at left tackle and Raiden's at left guard? You could see some combination of the two of them on that left side. I think that then creates a pretty interesting question because both guys came out as highly rated prospects. Skaronsky, you know, on a different level than, than what Raiden's was, but they were first, second round picks. Um, they both had questions though, playing tackle in college, then coming to the NFL, not quite having that length that you want in a tackle. We saw Raiden's at times kind of struggle at tackle, but then at other times kind of succeed at tackle for the Titans in very limited fashion with, with Skaronsky, We've not seen that yet. So I would be curious, you know, if you, if you told, if you gun to the head of the Titans organization, you got to play these guys on the left side. Who's the tackle. I don't know what they'd say. I want to say they'd probably lean Raidens because of the history and the experience a little bit in the NFL. But personally, you know, I was always high on Skaronsky being capable of playing tackle. I, I think the ceiling might be higher with him. Either way, you could see them in some form or fashion on that left side if Dillard does not work out and he continues to not work out. And that's going to wrap up our winners and losers for this first Titans. All right. That is win. winners and losers for Titans week two. And with that, we've got one more segment before we get out of here. It is the news with producer JT. Yeah, let's jump into the news and just a couple of just quick Titan stats to kind of wrap this up with a bow. Let's talk about that kicking um, situation that the Titans do have. Um, so we were talking about it earlier, but as Paul Kaharski kind of tweeted out after this game, it's been the first time since 2018 the Titans haven't missed a kick or point after attempt in the first two weeks of the season. Of course, Randy Bullock missed a field goal against the New York Giants. Michael Badgley missed a field goal and a point after attempt against Michael Arizona. Badgley. Hot Read Podcast legend Michael Badley, uh -huh. Badgley. And then Steven Goskowski missed three field goals and a point after attempt mm. in his first two weeks. So me and you did a little bit of digging and we said, when uh, yeah, that is way too kind. You did. I came up with the idea and you did the digging. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's a, you did the legwork part of the, you, the, 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 the recent, the hot read podcast research department, AKA JT and the computer <laughs> found out this information. <laughs> so I took it a step further and uh -huh. I, I saw when was the last time the Titans had this good of a start in the King department. And well, you'd have to go all the way back to 2015 when Ryan Suckup started the season 23 of 23 on point after attempts and field goals, he missed the first kick of his season in week nine against the Saints. And as I was telling you, 
while this is impressive, it also does help when you score six touchdowns in the first week and then two more in the second week, and you only have to kick eight point after attempts in the first two weeks. Uh, that I digress. Pad the stats. Is, pad the stats a little bit. It still is pretty nice, though. Yeah, man. Suck up was cooking with gas. How about that? Um, I think Folk could get to 23 combined attempts well before week nine at this point. He's got seven through two weeks. So, you know, that's he's he's on pace to doing quick math, get there by like week six or seven. Um, but will he make all of them? We'll see. It's a, it's a high bar. He's not quite there. And then another stat that is just important to point out here. We talked all week. Why did Ty J Spears get more snaps than Derek Henry in week one? Well, I'm here to tell you that that was the complete opposite in today's game mm-hmm. as Derek Henry dominated the snap to, uh, count for running backs with 46 offensive snaps which was good for 73 percent of the snap share Tyje Spears only getting 22 snaps which was 34.9 percent of the share and then Julius Chestnut getting one snap out there for 1.6 percent of the offensive snaps Wait it was it was a Derrick Henry day yes and they the Titans coaching staff told us this this week and some people chose to not believe them but like this is this was the this game was the perfect mix of Henry and Spears you had Two-thirds Henry, one-third Spears. It was a very nice one-two punch. I think it worked really nicely. I loved the way, for the most part, that they used both of these guys. I thought every time Spears had the ball in his hands, he provided juice in a way that Henry provides like a different kind. You know, it's a different variety. They really are two different flavors that go, they pair nicely together when used correctly. And I think they got the ratio, right? I think they've perfected the recipe here. Two thirds, Henry, one third Spears. Let's rock and roll. It was working for him. Yeah. And then we can move on to the rest of the AFC South and how they did today, starting off with the Jacksonville Jaguars who lost their game to the Kansas city chiefs who get back on track. They lose 17 to nine and Kansas city keeps them out of the end zone this week. Wild. I saw Ben Solak tweeted this today. He said, if end zones were like 11 or 12 yards deep, then the the Jaguars would have four of the sickest touchdowns of the day. I saw during the (laughs) game, there were a lot of highlights of the the Jags just barely running out of room in the end zone, but it's not the CFL. You don't get, 20 yard deep end zones. They are in fact, 10 yards deep. And this is the importance of the, maybe the, the, the significance of the difference between having a second place and a first place schedule. We've talked about it all summer long. The Titans first time they've had a second place schedule in, in, in a couple of years, the Jaguars first time they've had a first place schedule since 2018, I believe. So they have to, you know, host the chiefs at home this week. We're at the first place team. The Titans get to host the chargers at home, a second place team. And the, the the Jaguars lose 17 to nine. The Titans win 27 to 23. That's a, that's a two game swing in a, in a division battle that that kind of thing matters a lot in the end when things are tight. So it's a big deal. that The Titans get to play that second place schedule. Now I I do think that maybe this was the biggest, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for disparity here between first and second place opponents, because going forward, this means that the Jags get the bills. Good team. Titans get the Dolphins. I think not not Dolphins are better, but like those both hard teams. I think that they're they're considered relatively equal right now. Um, and then let's see that that means that the the Jaguars get the Bengals who <laughs> well, both you get Bengals. Your, you want to talk about your Bengals? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, you're right. Who am I forgetting here? What's the what's the third? Because uh, they they play all the AFC North, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. So the East and oh, the West, the West. So the the wait, I just said the West. The South. You, you got you got North. all of them. No, no, no. The North, the North. 
which is they all play the Wait. North this season. Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on. You're right. 17th game. Doesn't it then? I'm totally blanking. Isn't it the a first and second place team from the NFC? It might be. Yeah, I, I think it might be. Um, I can look I, up I know their schedule this, real I'm quick. Questioning myself. Um, um, but either way, yes, that that then becomes. They play the 49ers as well. That's right. They, so they play the Niners. Titans get to play the Seahawks. That's what it is. So first and yes. second place from an NFC division. Thank you. So blacked out for a second. But <laughs> but there, I mean, that's that that's another big one. I think the Seahawks win today. Obviously, bounce back. But would you rather play the Niners or the Seahawks right now? I know. I think it's a pretty clear answer. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Let's talk about the other matchup, which was another AFC South divisional matchup today where the Colts defeat the Texans 31 to 20. And let me tell you, Anthony Richardson was working with some fireworks out there today. Two no rushing touchdowns uh, in the span of like, what, six seconds or something. It felt insanely fast. But then, of course, <laughs> the unfortunately, off. I look yes. at my phone and it's like, oh, look, I'm playing because I'm playing you in fantasy this week. You have Anthony Richardson and he has a gajillion points after two seconds again, like great okay cool this is it's over before it began <laughs> and unfortunately you're right it, it was kind of over before it began for him oh. as well because he did leave the game with a concussion on his second touchdown run kind of slammed to the ground a little aggressively and he hit his head so he was not able to finish the game which meant Minshew mania took back over and he took the Colts to a uh, resounding lead and kind of just led the rest of the game which takes the Colts to a one and one standing now by the way, Minshew Mania, I, I, a tweet from our buddy Austin Gale over at the Ringer. The top quarterbacks by EPA per dropback thus far in week two via True Media are exactly as we all expected. Uh, number one, Baker Mayfield dealing down there in Tampa Bay. Number two, Josh Dobbs dealing with the Cardinals. Two very gritty losses so far. Number three, Minshew Mania, Gardner Minshew himself. The top three quarterbacks in the league. I love the NFL. And so if if we were going to look at the standings through two weeks here, the standings would be the Jags still sit atop because they have the best divisional record being one and oh, the Colts, I guess, tech, by technicality, edge out the, the Titans because they've played two games and gone one and one because they've both been divisional games. Right. Then Titans one and one and the Texans oh and two. So it'll be interesting going forward as the Colts have now split one. And the Jags take a very important loss against the AFC West. Yep. We can move it? on. Yeah, oh. we can move on now to just around the NFL. Some some news okay. and notes here around the NFL. Let's let's just start with with the Giants and how I just have to point out they finally scored some points. They won their game today. They um, did. They JT, went into I, halftime. I, I yeah. picked them in our survivor pool. And I was not worried even a little bit at all once, even a single time uh -huh. at, at no point during the day was I worried. I all along knew that they would win that game. And yeah, so I'm good sure. for me that I got yes. the Giants. Guess what? Jokes on everybody else. I got the Giants out of the way. You guys have to pick the Giants again at some point this season. I'm done with them. Thank God. <laughs> Well, the, the Giants did go into halftime with a negative 60 point differential on the season. <laughs> But they came out just absolutely swinging in the second half, overcoming a 21-point deficit to beat the Cardinals. Vols legend Josh Dobbs looked really good in the first half. Definitely thought that he was maybe playing them out of the uh, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr. sweepstakes he early was in the season. He, he was, was very much trying, but fell apart in the second half. So the Giants get their first win, and they need a it's a much much needed win for in that NFC East. No kidding. Yeah, no can, kidding. And then we can move on to, as you said, 
Yes, let's talk about the Bengals. Let's talk about <laughs> the they, Bengals. As they start 0-2 for the second straight year, not just that, but Joe Burrow on the last touchdown pass of his day to T. Higgins, uh, re-injures his calf again. I'm going to be honest, it's, it's not looking good for the Bengals. It's not. <laughs> it's it's not. not. Titans fans, imagine you lost today's game, right? You're 0-2. Then imagine your quarterback wasn't Ryan Tannehill, but it was a guy who just paid a gajillion, billion, trillion dollars. How would you feel today? If, just imagine the, it, you know, the SpongeBob meme where it's like inside his mind and it's all the SpongeBob clones and they're throwing papers around the office and the place is on fire. That's that's I, what I'm imagining Bengals country is like right now. Um, it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Can't yeah. can't be good. It, it, that being said, am I confident that the Bengals are bad? Like, no, I think that they, I, th- I felt like this last year, not to this extent, but didn't the Bengals start 0 and 2 or 1 and 1 last year? Yes, we're they like, started 0 and 2. Yeah, well. it's like, oh, they don't look very good. And then the, they, the were more, the, the more they were in the more important thing championship game. Yeah, so. they 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 have now dropped two divisional games. So they already start with an 0 2 divisional. And in that division, uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. But they'll look to get back on track on Monday Night Football next week against an LA team that kind of looks decent <laughs> like the Rams that is the right? Rams yes yeah the, they play Matt the Stafford, Rams with not uh, dead. dealing Puka Nakua rookie of the year campaign is alive Puka, and Puka well Cup? yeah through, it is. Uh, through two weeks of the love, season love which it. by the way I saw he he's has, on track for like 212 receptions on the season that's a real number which yes he, he has he has 35 receptions or no he's 35 targets targets through okay, two games um and currently, yes, currently the the leaders in targets go number one, Puka Nakua, number two, Justin Jefferson, and right. then in receiving yards, number one, Justin Jefferson, number two, Puka Nakua. The so, two best receivers in the league. Right. Yes, that makes sense. Checks exactly out. how that looks. Mm-hmm. I digress. Let's move mm-hmm. on to probably the most important part of the show right now. Uh, is the best bet gauntlet. We have Heck to yeah. talk about how we did this week once again. We're in week two of this uh, little competition between me and you in our second season here. And let's talk about how we did today. Of course, I'll start with me and I, I'm just going to brag. I'm I'm doing great right now. I'm 4-0 on the day awaiting the Miami Dolphins and New England Patriots game. If the Dolphins can win by a field goal, I will go f- for a perfect 5-0 and today. Big. Ho- big, however, for the, big for the show. Big, big for, for the, the culture. Show, big for the culture. However, Easton... With a two and three day today, which honestly, not your fault. It was a really bad beat. It was tough. It was a couple bad. I mean, I texted you at one point this afternoon, and and we agreed like the the margin between me having a four and one day and a two and three day was razor thin, and the two afternoon games really did me dirty. Um, you know, you I I had to call an audible on that Texans bet because of everybody getting hurt great pick on your on your good great number on your part with the with the Colts there getting them as an underdog in that game when they closed over a point favorite I believe so a lot of closing line value for you I called notable went with the Giants minus four thought they'd win that game by a touchdown they won by a field goal unfortunately so it kind of came a point short there and then the Broncos were up by 18 in the second half at one point and then they lose total catastrophe total disaster from Russ and Sean Payton and they lose to the commanders at home, which is brutal. And I had them winning by a touchdown and they were winning by 18 points in the second half and they just fell apart. So two really, really tough beats. Um, Really the truly the only bad bet on my part this week was trusting that Zach Wilson led jets offense. Um, I thought that their defense would be able to hold the Cowboys to much fewer points, but the Cowboys offense is rolling right now. 
And that Jets defense, as good as it is, couldn't, you know, the, you can't hold on your own all game long. There's just the offense has to do something, and the offense did nothing. So um, a tough two and three. I'm, I'm at six and six on the season. That's fine. I mean, listen, you you finished the season many games over 500 last year after starting two and uh, six just to begin the year. Like two and eight, but two, yeah, two and yeah. eight. Okay, even worse. Yeah, it was one and four and one and four to start the season. Oh, that's last right. That's year. right. One, yeah, two and eight. So, like, I'm not worried. We're at 500 through two weeks. This gets easier as we go once we figure out what these teams are. I'm I'm happy about that. Um, and I'm happy Sorry, for you because yeah. listen, the competition is important to us for 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 sure. But each week, I'm placing a lot of the bets that you're choosing, and and you're placing a lot of bets that I'm choosing. It's it's half a competition, half half a collaborative effort. At the end of the day, we want the show to succeed. We brag about we the show's collective number. And, and JT, I appreciate yeah. you carrying the show today. I'll, I'll, of course. I'll, I promise to, to get you back eventually. What yeah. are we on the year so far pending the Miami game? So today we were a six and three pending the Miami game, which puts okay. us currently for a 12 and seven record on the year. All Could right. go to so, 13 so and seven or 12 seven. and eight. Right. However, uh, to a tongue of a tongue of Iloa just threw the most underthrown ball in the entire world to Tyreek Hill, which got intercepted. So the Patriots are marching back down the field now to look to tie this game. So uh, I hey 12, if, 12 and eight, nothing wrong with 12 and eight. 12, nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with, with 12, 12 and eight. And eight. Nothing week. wrong. <laughs> However, yeah, so we'll yeah. figure it out. But you yeah, know, we'll figure it we'll out. We'll see. Is that it? Yeah, that, that, that's going to be that's okay. going to be that's it for the, the news, news today. Right. That is the news with producer JT. Thank you, producer JT, and that is our show today. Appreciate everybody tuning in with us live. Um, a, a better turnout for the late night after dark edition of the show than I thought we would have. Uh, I think people really want to get to the Titans talk as soon as possible on Sundays. So you know what? We'll just go. I think we'll just go live going forward when we can manage it. Some weeks we won't be able to, but whenever we can on Sundays for the show. We'll go live, so make sure to tune in on Sundays. Make sure to tune on on Tuesday afternoon when we're live again recording for our th Wednesday show. We'll be live on Tuesday afternoon. Join the conversation then. We'll be talking all things Titans in the aftermath of this week's game, looking ahead a little bit to next week's game. On Wednesdays, will kind of be a mishmash this year. Sometimes we'll have some guests. Sometimes we'll play some games. It'll be a fun time, so tune in then, Tuesday afternoon. And then Thursday afternoon, live at Boombaz in Spring Hill, talking Titans preview. They head to Cleveland next week to face the Cleveland Browns. He'll look pretty good through one week. We'll see how they perform on Monday Night Football next week. Just for reference, the Titans are four-and-a-half-point uh, look-ahead line underdogs pending that Browns performance tomorrow night. So if you think the Browns might lose, I think they're playing the Steelers, right? Browns yes. Steelers. If you think they're going to lose to the Steelers, maybe grab the Titans now at four and a half point dogs. If you think that they kill the Steelers, maybe wait. You can get a big, bigger number on Tuesday. Either way, we will talk to you then. For producer JTM, your host, Easton Freeze. Subscribe to the YouTube, Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Give us a, a subscription. It's very helpful. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on podcasts and following us on social media at Hot Read Pod on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of those things. We'll talk to you on Tuesday.